Hello and welcome to Whitlet, the funny books podcast, where each episode I talk to comedians, writers or publishers about their favourite witty literature. In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Colin Rothwell, an improv comedian, software engineer and Goodreads Beanock. We talk about one of our absolute favourite authors, Terry Pratchett. An excuse to talk about Terry Pratchett is basically the reason for me doing a funny books podcast in the first place, so that's exciting. I must confess upfront that uh, this episode's recording mistake uh, is that I, I, I accidentally put it on the one-sided recording mode thing, so I sound distant and Colin sounds even clearer than he usually does, um, which is frankly quite impressive. So I'm really sorry about that, uh, but I, I think you get used to it. Anyway, stay tuned for tips about where to start if you've never read any Pratchett before, uh, for more general gushing about how great he is, and to hear Colin doing many, many witch voices. Terry Pratchett. Yes. We've got to. So, um, you know, to the humble listener, um, for, for me, Terry Pratchett is one of my absolute favourite authors, mm-hmm. has been for my entire life, and I'm always surprised when people have um, a sort of adverse, adverse reaction to even the thought of reading. Oh, anything. yeah, no, because it takes a lot of the, like, what... I've got perhaps a bit of a complex, yeah. but like a lot of what you might call the snobbery boxes, because not only is it fantasy, but he's unabashedly funny. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. And I also think another part of it is people be not knowing where to start. Yeah. If they, if, they feel, if they know a bit about it and they know about the disc world and they know yeah. that, um, how many was it? Somewhere around 30 disc yeah. world novels, I think. Quite damningly, I think as well... The first two, The Colour of Magic mm. and The Light Fantastic, are very much parodies of a very specific type of like pulp fantasy. And I think, so as well, if you start, it's like, oh, I'll read the first ones, if you think it's a full series, mm. then you're going to read something bad, and you're not going to get it, and you're going to be like, what? Yes. So, probably the first, the best place to start would be, uh, for me, The Truth, because it's standalone, free by itself, Early on, Pratchett, like particularly like the first two, he's like, oh, I'm a writer of parody. And then he starts thinking about like the plots that he has mm. to know, that he wants to write and sell as well. Mm. And then like halfway through, he's just like, what's an interesting concept or what's an interesting like phenomena to like examine in the disc world? And he's still funny, he's still lighthearted and he's still got all of this good stuff, but it's not the main thing he's trying to do. And I think the books benefit greatly from that. And so the truth is about is about newspapers and is about the the arrival of the printing press. And it's just really good. It's just really very readable and it's very gripping and it does make you think about the press and the role of the press and But basically as well uh, they're they're set in this big Discworld universe and a lot of the characters recur and some of these stories then end up being set with various people as their main characters or groups of people as their main characters and so some of these subsections include um, the witches um, so the, the I guess the first one in that series would be the, the Weird Sisters? Yeah, I think that's the first true witches novel I think Equal Rights, mm. which is about a, a 
little girl who wants to become a wizard specifically rather than a witch. I would say equal rights is quite a good place to start as well. Yeah, particularly if you're like into feminism and... (laughs) 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 Yeah, particularly... Oh dear. And I know it's a cliche about any kind of um, satire or Mm -hmm. any kind of alternate world um, fiction, but obviously although he's theoretically set in a different world mm-hmm. obviously everything that he's talking about has relevance to our own mm-hmm. world and is is just the whole you know looking at your own world through different glasses makes mm. you see it better kind of thing um yeah so the character of death who is one of the most beloved characters in the Discworld series who speaks entirely in capitals and who has uh, a sort of a strange relationship with humans. Um, Death is, is such a good character. Such a good character. Because, and develops and ages. Yeah, because like, he is I clearly hope that inhuman. Death is like him. I, I, <laughs> if, there is, if there is any kind of afterlife, I hope it's the one that Pratchett wrote. As a side note, I really, I really like that you're rationing Pratchett. Yeah. I really like over your life. I think one that's such a, a good thing to do. Is that it? It's one a year. It's now one a year on my birthday, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> nice. Because I did the opposite. Like, I think one of the main things I've got from my dad is actually, like, is is his taste in books. Like, the books I read tend to be much more the books that my dad reads than the ones that my mum reads. And, like, he that has a shelf of all of the Pratchett's, like, in the editions that they came out in. Oh, my God, so cool. At home, and, and it's, it's lovely. But so I... I read a lot of them when I was growing up just because they were there and I liked them so I wasn't like consciously like mm. when it was dad's birthday like mum would go out and buy him the yes. new Terry Pratchett and the new his, that was like one of their like rituals basically was that that he would get bought the new Pratchett um, but so I and then in about 2016 I just read all of the Pratchett's in order, like in the order they were published, oh, and I read them so one after the other with like very limited breaks. One for the real niche Goodreads fans is that you can get a <laughs> plot of Goodreads of like when the books you published were read, and you can see like versus when you finished them, which is quite deep in. And so it's you can see like normally oh, it's I didn't quite scattered. That you don't go into deep tech oh on yeah, oh yeah, man, I've been all round Goodreads. Um, and there's a period when I'm reading Pratchett's where it's just this very like gradual line that just like goes upwards wow. as I've clearly just read them one after the other. Oh, so that was what I did it quite soon after he died. I think I think it was like I'm yeah. like now that there aren't going to be any more, I'm going to complete yes. it oh my God. almost as a weird like ritual. I think I remember where I was when I found out that Terry Pratchett died which was backstage at the ABC Theatre, about to perform um, a sci-fi comedy called Warp Factor. And I was just backstage and like for some reason I had my phone and was probably scrolling sadly. Um, (laughs) And you know, saw that and it didn't really sink in. I don't think I will ever read Shepherd's Crown. Okay. Because, uh, so Shepherd's Crown is the last in the Aching series. The last book that he ever wrote, but it's sort of half... I, that's, that's also, it was... The, it's I think not the, completely written. No. And it's, it's kind of compiled from notes um, by those, you know, very close to him. And I think 
I'm very scared of the Tiffany Aching series ending yeah. anyway because it's one of I just think it's the most incredible series um, and I would highly recommend it to literally everyone um, <laughs> it's, it, it, it is very funny it is also the most kind of humane moral yeah. <laughs> like delightful like the weatherwax the granny weatherwax who appears in the Tiffany Aching ones is, is the granny weatherwax who was like who's beaten all of these supernatural yes. so her learning to borrow the bee so oh man it gets really technical but witches can ride along with an animal and they can like share a space in their their head and they can they make suggestions they don't try and control the animal and this is like one of the few forms of avert magic they actually have but granny weatherwax can do it with bees and this is like, her getting the ability to do that is a really seminal moment <laughs> in one of the books. And so, like, I'm awestruck when Granny Weatherwax appears in the Tiffany Aching stories because it's, like... Yes. And I think because it's been so much shown and not told that yes. Granny Weatherwax, I think, you have so much more respect. And, like, whenever she is, like... Yeah, well, this is one of my this is one of my favourite quotes from Pratchett, actually. I think it's a Granny Weatherwax quote, is that she says, it's something like, at the end of the day, everyone's just people. And I think that's one of the things that Pratchett does so well, is that all of his characters, despite living in this fantasy world, and despite many of them being big tropes, are ultimately just people. And even her, who is this incredible, is also, at the end of the day, just a person. Oh, yeah. I literally, guys, just, just please, like, read some Pratchett. please read our Pratchett, like, I just don't think that you'd regret it, I think if you, if you found Whitlit as a podcast, yes. either through knowing either Colin or myself, or liking funny things, yeah. or liking literature, like, just, I don't think you'd regret it, um, don't, yeah, as Colin suggested, do not start with the first that he wrote. Um, ask me. Like, me. like please, mess, like, literally call me. I would like nothing more than to talk you through which Pratchett I would recommend. Yeah. And if it's one that I don't think I've read, chat. I will pass you on to Colin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, they're the dream. I think my, my touchstone, my yardstick for what humour is mm. in a book, I think, because they're not, they're not, it's line by line, but it's also in structure, in character, yeah. in setting, in just everything that you can think of as the key elements of a good novel. He manages to make part of his sort of grand comic structure. And they're a joy. They're a real joy. They are and lovely. I love talking about them. Probably more than... No, <laughs> as much as I love reading them, um, which is once... I would like you to read some cool. Colin. I, just I will read some Pratchett. So we've got. I mean, I would love like that is. I think I would. I would love reading audiobooks. Although again, it's one of these things where when you're doing it, it's probably like you have to keep going. Yeah. If anyone is listening to this, um, that's also one of my literal dreams in life. <laughs> to read an audiobook, but I would have to get rid of my lisp, I suppose. Do you have a lisp? This is what everyone says, and then suddenly I say it, and they re- and they realise. Maybe. Okay. The wind howled. Lightning stabbed at the earth erratically, like an inefficient assassin. 
Thunder rolled back and forth across the dark, rain-lashed hills. The night was as black as the inside of a cat. It was the kind of night, you could believe, on which gods moved men as though they were pawns on the chessboard of fate. In the middle of this elemental storm, a fire gleamed among the dripping firs bushes like the madness in a weasel's eye. It illuminated three hunched figures. As the cauldron bubbled, an eldritch voice shrieked, When shall we three meet again? There was a pause. Finally, another voice said, in far more ordinary tones, Well, I can do next Tuesday. I love it. I love it. Can you can you read me an audiobook just for my own private Yes, sure. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> the last voice there is, in fact, Granny Weatherwax talking. And yes. So yeah, I've, I could talk about this, that, that opening for hours. And Weird Sisters is one of my favourite Terry Pratchett books because it is in large part a direct parody of Macbeth and also of Shakespearean tragedy in general and it starts out with basically the same opening as Macbeth except the witches are Pratchett. Yeah, just reading this while you're studying, I think I was about 16, and studying in GCSE English Macbeth and like reading something that punctures it so perfectly is just sublime. How would you, how would you describe the humor, like Pratchett's humor? Oh, really good. (laughs) Um, It develops as well. I think it develops so much because a lot of it is directly parodic to start with and then it becomes much less. One of his most famous characters is um, Conan the Barbarian who is a direct parody of Conan the Barbarian who is a big famous character in pulp uh, in pulp fantasy and it's just that guy but if he got really old and has lost all of his teeth like I think a lot of it becomes very character driven later on I think in the way that the characters behave and the way in which they are human and the way that that's recognisable even in these like these strange structures and just like yeah the things that people will insist on like there's a series in there's a there's a sequence in one of the witches books where the kingdom that they all living is trying to modernize and just sort of how people don't quite get things right so instead of having an official stamp it's made out of half of a potato and obviously it's ridiculous but you can sort of buy it because of how much the characters have been set up to be and it is a bit like with kind of you know your favorite sitcom yeah you want to watch series after series and you want to see these people being with each other, doing the same thing yeah. in different ways that still somehow surprises you. He's very wry, I think, practically. Yes. He's very... There's a... I think there's a glint in his eye throughout and you can really... It really comes through in his prose. He's like... To some extent, you're, he's like the archetypal like favourite uncle who is like telling like a funny story and is... They're quite silly without giving the impression of being silly. You're never like, oh, this is, this is ludicrous, this is stupid. But they're always, this stuff happens and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I found that a bit when I've been trying to explain what has happened or something, or you're trying to explain a plot to someone. Yeah. And I find when I'm trying to describe it, it sounds... A bit like silly, like silly, yeah. a bit lame. Yeah. No, and I'm, then somehow when you're reading it, it is not lame at all. This it's is. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I find that 
incredibly frustrating when I'm trying to kind of convince someone yeah. to read it and then you're like and then there's this bit and there's a potato and, and yeah. it's like oh, but it's, a, it's an amazing potato and, I, yeah. <laughs> and it makes complete sense that it's a potato at the time yeah. and it's a very clever potato yeah and then it's I, so I think this um, I think this might be something about the way that I don't know, it's something about becoming an adult and, like, putting away childish things to maul a quote from the Bible yeah, I've just nice done one. there. Thanks. Um, a famously and, funny book there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is type 5 from the cross. Um, like, a lot of fantasy has this, and it's because... And you're meant to think, oh, it's said in a... And I think what's great about a lot of the best modern fan... It's not particularly funny. A lot of my, my favourite fantasy series is probably by an author called Robin Hobb, and one of my favourite books by her is, like... Again, what's really good with her is her characters and how she totally sells it. And she can totally sell the character of a talking boat. And it's set on, like, a magical boat going up a river where everybody's turning into dragon people. <laughs> and it's not silly And it funny. doesn't feel <laughs> yeah. silly when you're reading it. You just feel like you're a teenager again. And, yeah, so Pratchett, I think, has that as well. Like, Pratchett. Yes, where he can twist on the, the, you know, one sentence. You can start off the sentence and it's funny and you can yeah. end it and you're, like... You've got something in your yeah. throat and you need to go and sit alone for a bit. And he's so good at, like, there are dwarves and trolls and they just feel like a natural part of city life. It's like there's one where he looks at, it's like dwarven terrorists. And again, like, just as a sentence, as a pair, it sounds silly because, like, that's... But, like, in the yeah, thing, it's... it's deadly serious. It's deadly serious and they're looking at, like, the effect that these, these terrorists have on the city and the indigenous populations of dwarves who are not extremists on the city. And, like, I think because I was, like, the first time I read them, I was, like, 14 to 18, probably. I didn't realise, but, like, how brave it is to, like, write a comment on terrorism in the wake of, like, 9-11 and how well and how sympathetically he does it, despite the fact that it's magical dwarves doing yeah. the terrorism. And it's very funny. Yes. Like, what? <laughs> yes. How are you doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Read Pratchett, Read guys. Read guys. I'm not sure how much of this I want to make the cut because my parents will probably listen to it. Yay! To some Hello, extent. parents. <laughs> nice value. Pratchett I got from Dad. And Dad rereads things a lot. And like a, a real feature of me growing up would be... We'd just be reading in the sitting room. And Dad would just, like, start laughing. And Mum would be like, oh, he's reading one of the Terry Pratchett's. And so I think it's really hard to write a book just to be funny. I think if you're just writing something to be funny, if you're just, like, getting gags in, people start getting tired of that after about half an hour, I think. Like, so you see this in sketch shows, they tend to be about half an hour. Or they're narrative sketch shows where there is some sort of a plot, even if it's bonkers. I think people need that to be gripped. So I think writing a book where it's like the first thing it's going to be is funny is really hard. And then if you don't have a plot, the first two practices really suffer from this. And they're just like less entertaining, even though there's gags you end up being. I think a lot of comedy is very social. And I think a lot of it is you laugh with somebody. And this is why I think live comedy is great. Um, I think to some extent with Pratchett, he almost gets away with it because you feel like you're hanging out with the characters. A lot of comedy where like 
what's funny is that the world is zany, you then it. yeah you end <laughs> up hating, it. yeah <laughs> and you get you get really bored of it because it just becomes normal. It's like oh in this universe like everybody's head pings off and hits the ceiling. And you're like well you need that grounding as well to make things funny. Humor is part of human existence and comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Put that on the tagline. Well, I know. <laughs> Subtitle. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait, like, humor, humor is part, part of, of humanity. <laughs> yeah. But this is the thing, right? Is that when you read a piece of literary fiction and everybody's miserable all the time, that's actually nobody's life is like that. Nobody. Not. Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody. Oh, yeah, exactly. Humor is bonding and, like, as well, like, like all of my my friends who I know from software engineering or computer science make jokes and part of the joy of that is having such bizarre and arcane technical knowledge and making jokes about like that that no one else gets and part of it is like being part of this in-group and so it's have you read Normal People? Yes. I don't remember there being any like it's, it's <laughs> is there super any good. comedy in Normal People? That's a very good question. Maybe a little bit. I mean if it is it's like but like so, like, Connell in particular, like, definitely would be, like, having a laugh with his mates. But, like, it just, it's not in the book. And then it's just, like, this is this whole sphere of human existence that, like, for it to be literary, we're not allowed to mention. And, yeah. So... I mean, as uh, with my publishing head on... Yes. <laughs> I, would have to, I would have to pull you up there and say... Sure. I, I don't think that literary fiction itself is devoid of humour. No. I think, I think there is a sense of... Um, this, there, there's still a sense in which, you know, like, the prize winners mm. are kind of expected to be serious, mm. and serious is viewed as opposite to comedy, and yeah. I think that, that is still definitely something that is being very slow to change. Mm-hmm. But I do think that people are... People... I don't know who I mean by people, but I think that both readers and publishers are getting better at realising that humour is super fun mm. and a really useful way of thinking about things and getting your point across. And if you are an author who is lucky enough to be able to be funny, that is something very much to be celebrated, yeah. not kind of embarrassed about. Um, and I would say that a lot of the kind of best literary fiction that I've read is, is, is funny and has elements of humour, but it's just not a priority. Thinking about it, just rereading the practice now was... It's hard to capture comic timing in words. One of the things that he did is that he does have comic timing and like stuff where he explicitly manages to mention Granny barely paused, like adds so much to that sentence. I particularly like about Pratchett as well is his use, his sort of famous use of footnotes mm. and the way that sometimes you know a, a page will basically just be one vast yeah. footnote, um, often with kind of different varying levels of intricacy of sort of you know one A one B kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that things like that, I think that is one example of the way that he plays with the book as a form. Yeah. And being able to literally stop you in the middle of a sentence, mm. make you go and read a huge amount more, which has then got jokes in it as well, <laughs> make you go back up again and sort of finish a sentence. And I, I certain, you know, I wish I could think of a specific example, but there have definitely been times where I've done what he's basically told me to do. Yeah. You know, I've started reading a sentence, I've gone to the footnotes, I've gone back up, and there is a punchline at the end of that sentence that <laughs> wouldn't make sense if you hadn't kind of gone to yeah. the footnotes. And it's stuff like that where, you know, you, you, I think that there is a sense of comic timing in the written form. Yeah. I think it's harder to do. I think fewer people can put yeah. it off. 
you've got good omens in your part. Have you read good omens? I have, yes. You have. So good omens is delightful. I, I don't have a specific paragraph, but um, a kind of uh, recurring gag of the, um, the, 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 the four horsemen. War, famine, pestilence and, and death. death being the sort of four horsemen of the apocalypse and when the end of the world comes these are kind of the four horsemen ride out yeah exactly and something that i particularly like is that um there are not just four um so they kind of find all these other horsemen of the apocalypse um which include death famine war and pollution but also grievous bodily harm cruelty to animals Things not working properly even after you've given them a good thumping. <laughs> no alcohol lager and really cool people. <laughs> and some of the people that will be riding out the apocalypse. <laughs> Lovely. Um, um, can I... I do actually have a quote from Good Omens. Sure. That I think is silly and fun and I like it. Uh, it wasn't a dark and stormy night. It should have been, but that's the weather for you. For every mad scientist who's had a convenient thunderstorm just on the night his great work is finished and lying on the slab, there have been dozens who've been sat around aimlessly under the peaceful stars while Igor clocks up the overtime. <laughs> it's just like, That's, um, fair enough. That is lovely and also a theme of practice writing. Have you met, have you met Igor? Yes. And they always... There's a lovely. Sort of we're hunch just hunch basically hunch. we're just basically now reliving practice. Yes. But like every horrible, like every vampire has a servant who is an eagle, and they all get very disgruntled when they move to the city and the weather stops responding. And there's a there's a part where one of them is like, the castle, and is then very disappointed that thunder doesn't strike. <laughs> uh, but so in Good Omens, like the first episode includes just the voice of God doing a lot of the narration. Ah, interesting. And when I'm watching it, I find it lazy. Um, like, which is sort of... I'm, I, but, like, when I'm watching a show and there's, like, a narrator, I'm like, you should be showing and not yes. telling. But I can see why... I think Neil Gaiman wrote the script. I can see why he was so attached to, like, all of these, like, really funny gags that, like... When it's written down, every album after two weeks becomes a Queen album. You're like, ah, ha, ha, I get it. If you just like show every car with a Queen yeah. album, it just it's just that's not a joke. It's just so. Well, uh, basically, the two main characters are the devil and an angel who have ended up becoming friends and decide that they actually don't want the apocalypse at the end of the world to happen because they kind of quite like their life on Earth these days <laughs> and it's quite quite easy and they actually don't want the end of the world to happen. Um, and the devil is called Crowley, and in the list of the kind of um, uh, cast, it says um, Crowley in brackets, an angel who did not so much fall as saunter vaguely downwards. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember the last time you laughed out loud when reading? The, I think the last time I properly like lost it might have been the troll with the potato stamp when I was laughing <laughs> But I have gone like. <laughs> Um, Colin, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Thank this you. Has been a joy. It has been an absolute joy. I'm going to press the little red button. Thank you for listening to this episode of Witlit. Um, do subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your colleagues. Leave the podcast a love letter in the form of a good review. Uh, five stars, I think. And um, follow Whitlet on social media. It's on Instagram at Whitlet Podcast or Twitter at Whitlet Pod. 
I post funny quotes on them sometimes, so it's a really cool place to hang out. Um, thank you, Colin, for enabling me to talk about my beloved Pratchett for an evening. Um, my other thanks this episode goes to uh, my colleague Daisy Watt, uh, who has been an amazing podcast wingman from the start. Um, she tells people that I would be too embarrassed to tell and she doesn't even demand payment so that's really nice thanks daisy uh if you ever need me to wingman one of your vanity podcast projects then uh let me know and uh yes thank you for listening um genuinely please message me if you want a personalized pratchett recommendation or like if you're reading pratchett just send me quotes send me your page numbers it would it would make me really happy um okay bye